morning to you. Uh, welcome to our Halloween edition of the uh, Key Market Drivers Tuesday call. See our contact info on the screen. We'd love to hear from you. Let's just go ahead and get after it here. Uh, it's actually a relatively quiet week. I think we kind of talked in the office here about, you know, what's going to be the story. Um, I think there's a, a bit of a story, maybe a few things going on, but uh, really a market that's not, uh, I would say, all that tremendously active right now. When you look at the soy complex, um, boy, I tell you what, for the first time in a long time, soybean meal uh, is actually getting a little bit of the spotlight finally. Uh, you know, we have been crushing largely for oil to feed the biofuel sector for Oh my gosh, at least the better part of the last two years. And uh, soybean meal has been relegated to the, uh, um, you know, I guess the redheaded stepchild uh, role in in, uh, in that complex. But we've had actually tremendous export sales to start with that I'll show you and talk about just a little bit. And I got a chart to maybe kind of explain why that might be happening. You know, I got the, the second bullet there, South American weather improving kind of, but... Um, and, and as Paige will talk about here, it's uh, it, better weather in some areas, not such great weather in other areas. Uh, and so a bit of a mixed bag when you get to especially Brazil, but more on that when, uh, when we uh, get to Paige here. As far as U.S. harvest goes, uh, really kind of coming down the home stretch and doesn't look like a whole lot to get in our way to uh, really don't see a problem finishing this harvest up uh, in, in pretty good order. I think generally speaking, we didn't get as much rain uh, was as was in that seven-day forecast map, or a lot of areas didn't get as much rain was in that map we showed you a week ago. So that's kind of the big things kind of pushing uh, uh, markets around here. Uh, I talked about soybean meal exports at the beginning there, but uh, we got sales are actually up 43%. Uh, shipments are up not quite that much, but uh, up big. Now, with all the extra crush and what we think we're going to have to crush for oil, uh, I think Bill has been forecasting that soybean meal exports out of the U.S. were likely to have to go up at least 20% or a little bit more than that to clear all the extra meal. Well, it's early. Um, the soybean meal crop cycle, just like oil, started at the beginning of October. So uh, what is that? With 3 or 4% of the precincts reporting, uh, we're doing pretty good. But we got we got a long ways to go there. But that is... Um, uh, that's kind of why we've got the, a bit of the big, uh, big run up here. So uh, we also have uh, we got the Fed meeting this week. Uh, mo I think the market is uh, very highly handicapping that we were not going to get any change in interest rates. Uh, we'll see what the Fed says tomorrow afternoon. I think at what is it, 1 p.m. Eastern time or something is when they have their press conference. But trade's not looking for an interest rate change there. And we've got a Pretty important report coming up here next Thursday, but I think we'll kind of save our powder a little bit and talk about that uh, on next week's call. So looking at markets, corn market, uh, we've talked about this one's kind of been parked a little bit. Uh, I think last week and the week before with decent export start to corn, uh, we had kind of moved that, that market still in the range that we've been in for the better part of the last couple months, but towards the top of the range. Uh, we lost about 3% in corn prices last week, and we've slipped back to the lower middle part of the range, if you will. But the corn market really isn't doing much. Um, we're getting corn out. Uh, we've maintained our, our lead here on the five-year average, uh, again, because we didn't get as much rain uh, last week as was forecast. But we got 71% of the crop out. Uh, that is five ticks ahead of uh, that five-year average that we talked about. You can see corn export sales there that I was talking about uh, earlier. <laughs> and the Brazilian crop is going in 
and pretty well, pretty well uh, on order. Getting a little bit behind in beans, but I'll talk about that here uh, in just a second. When you get to the wheat market, Scott, what's uh, what's happening there? Well, um, outside of the the prices being down, um, you know, Friday over Friday, you can see there that we were down a little bit uh, across all three markets. Um, we were down a little more yesterday. Actually, got uh, one of our coverage alerts and hit a target. Um, we're down again this morning. Um, I did read that despite all of this uh, bearishness that we've got going on right now, that we're actually, um, you know, we're still a little bit up for the month of, of October. Uh, remember, we hit those lows back at the end of September when we got our um, our, our final uh, a small grain summary from Uncle Sam. Um, and uh, we kind of went back up and uh, in Chicago anyway, uh, picked above the $6 mark before we, we've kind of come back down again these last two weeks. Um, internationally, prices are uh, continuing to fall. Um, it just seems like we have adequate supplies around the world. Um, we're not worried about what's going on in the Black Sea. You can see there that uh, after last week's uh, little brief pause, um, that the, uh, the the Ukraine is still shipping through the humanitarian corridor. In fact, they said that uh, they never even really closed it, which is weird um, because we know that shipments did stop. So there there was nothing really official from the Ukrainian government supposedly, uh, but but that's still going. Um, Ukrainian shipments are down about 4 million tons from where they were a year ago. But um, the rail movements are up about 50% uh, going to Odessa. So clearly that they're taking advantage of moving grain uh, on that humanitarian corridor um, and things feel better. Um, a couple of other, I guess, maybe just one other thing that's not on this uh, slide, probably should have updated it first thing this morning, but did read wire reports this morning that China was in <clears throat> overnight and bought actually a pretty good little bit of wheat from both Australia and France uh, to the tune of about uh, uh, just shy of 5 million tons. Um, remember me talking earlier this summer about how much rain was on that Chinese crop and they think somewhere between 20 and 25% maybe of their crop was uh, uh, impacted by, by that rain. Um, and a lot of the, you know, big time guessers are out there saying that, that uh, China is going to have to buy about 12 million tons of imported wheat this year. Scott, um, is that, is that, imp are they importing uh, milling quality wheat? And then that, that means they're going to have a lot of feed wheat. That's that's the implication. Yeah, I think that well, I guess that could affect maybe uh, corn imports because maybe that's why the Chinese are not off to a great start uh, buying corn because they got enough feed wheat to feed and they'll have to import milling wheat. Right. Right. And we know they bought they bought some U.S. Uh, soft wheat here a couple of weeks back. Not a lot of, you know, nothing anywhere close to, you know, two or two and a half million tons. But uh uh, again, with prices where they're at today, uh, and and I'm honestly I'm a little bit surprised. You see, there Russia's uh, on the list there at 232. 
I actually saw, again, just this morning, another quote of, of Russian wheat in the 220s. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised we haven't heard more about their new bestest buddy uh, shipping them some hard wheat. Um, I guess we'll see more about that uh, as time goes on. The other big news, I suppose, in the uh, uh, wheat world is our winter wheat. Uh, we got, um, we're 87% we're planted, uh, right on the average. We're 64% uh, emerged, which is right on the average. And we got our first winter wheat conditions report of the year. Um, came in at 47% good to excellent. That's versus 28% year ago. Remember how god awful it was a year ago. Um, and 47%, how does that uh, rate? It's Well, it's the best in four years. Uh, but again, remember last year was the worst um, opening or initial uh, conditions since 1986. So um, that it's just, not great. It was just so dry in the West. The soft crop last year looked pretty good at this point, right? Yeah, but it was a, you know, it was a big uh, exercise in averaging last yeah. year, right? Yeah. So... I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's it's very, very early. And you've heard me say a, a million times before that you cannot correlate yield to early conditions. Um, but that big, huge, you know, out of the park record crop that we had back in 2016 um, came in at 48 percent good to excellent. So, you know, we'll see where things go. If you take the uh, super six uh, hard wheat and soft wheat, Hard wheat uh, states at 46% good to excellent. And look at what that was a year ago. It was below 20. And then look at the soft wheat super six at uh, 62.8, uh, almost 63 versus, uh, you know, 56 and a half a year ago. So things looking really pretty good um, uh, right now here uh, as we get ready to flip the calendar to November. All right. Well, thank you, Scott. Um, we look further down to the soy complex. You see beans are parked. Uh, this is, I think, the third or fourth week in a row where soybean oil has lost right at a penny, uh, a little over a penny, a couple percent down last week. And look at meal. Uh, that's on top of that very impressive rally. Uh, I think there's there's a couple things going on in meal. Um, <clears throat> Clearly, the exports are very good, and we talked about that already. I think one of the other things, and this is why I put, if you look at that third bullet, uh, the December futures are up almost $76 a ton since the, the 5th of this month. If you look further out on the curve, if you look to the May futures, they're up too, but they're only up about half as much. And so what, what I think is going on, if you go back to the 5th of May, you actually had a pretty flat market. In other words, the December futures were about the same, actually a small discount to the May futures, now you have a market that's very largely inverted. And I think that's also telling us that we have a supply problem on the front end, on, on the nearby uh, time. We have all this export flow out the Gulf. And I think the cause of that, the, the cause of the tightness in the nearby and the meal market is just some of these plants that were supposed to start up and probably had some meal sales on the books aren't running, they're having to go buy stuff in. And so I think there's also a, a, that element uh, to what's pushing this market, especially the front end of this market. So uh, that's what I think is going on in meal. Is that helping us in oil? Well, beans aren't really going up. And so we've had this big swing. That's I think meal going up has maybe allowed oil to soften a little bit. I don't know that that's, 
I don't know that we can blame that and call it the primary cause that, of, of oil prices dropping, but that is uh, well, Dave, certainly, what is, certainly what is a help. These, what is the oil buyer's nirvana, for those who don't remember? Yeah, yeah, the oil buyer's nirvana is enough beans to crush and uh, plenty of meal demand to take the meal off. And I uh, haven't had that in a while, but you're right. No. We do actually kind of have that a little bit now, don't we? Uh, you can see soybean export sales are off to a pretty slow start here, uh, and we're just not selling any uh, soybean oil. I think I saw after last Thursday's uh, sales report, I think the crop year to date, and again, it's an early crop year. It's just started at the beginning of October. I think we have shipped a measly 4 million pounds of soybean oil uh, into export channels, and probably most of that is just north or south of the border uh, stuff that crosses. So. That's probably it for the soy complex slide, but I wanted to show you why are our meal exports so good? Well, what you're looking at on this chart is the last three years, uh, well, last the, the last two years, the gray bar, gray line there is the five-year average. This is the monthly Argentine soybean crush. Remember, Argentina is the largest exporter of soybean meal and soybean oil on the planet, typically. They had that horrifically bad crop last year, and that's why their crush, which is the red line, you can see well below prior years. One of the biggest questions that we're trying to figure out right now, and I'll be honest with you, I haven't found anybody that's got a snappy answer, is why are soybean meal exports so doggone good? Uh, because Argentina just doesn't seem to have the meal to export, yet they're the cheapest soybean oil on the planet right now. They're even cheaper than Brazil is with that great big crop. So. I don't know what that tells us. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but Argentina continues to be uh, the cheapest the cheapest oil on the planet. I don't want to steal Paige's thunder here, but this is what she's going to talk a little bit about. This is the, uh, I guess, potentially the river that averages three foot deep. Um, in the center of the country, Mato Grosso, and I think I'm going to go to that slide. You can see the red line there. They've fallen back to just shy of the five-year average in Mato Grosso, but the crop is going in, as you can see, pretty good. But we're well behind down here getting the crop planted, and we're well behind up here getting the crop planted for two different reasons. It's been too dry up here. Farmers don't want to plant because they don't they want to have enough moisture in the ground to germinate the crop. And down here it just won't quit raining. Had flooding and everything else. So it's you know, we sit here and we try to put very simple labels on things. Is this good or is this bad? Well. I would say that the rains are probably better in places like Mato Grosso, but we got too much in other areas and not enough in some. So it's a it's it's really a bit of a mixed bag uh, in Brazil at this point. So and when we look at the vegetable market, the palm oil market continues to drop a little bit. Uh, we've talked about this kind of 800 and something dollar range is kind of where prices have been for really many, many months now. Well, we're towards the bottom of that range. We were actually down a little bit more here. Uh, on today's market, I noticed. I think we were down what, Nate, another percent and a half, I think I saw an article. So, yep. And I think one of the other things to think, you know, we've talked about North American vegetable prices are an island. Well, we kind of still are. We are still well above world prices for other oils, but not nearly to the degree we were a month ago. Uh, with, with soybean oil futures dropping like they have, palm oil prices have also dropped, but we have kind of compressed those spreads a little bit. They're still not anywhere near normal. And we're still not a, 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 at a place where uh, we are in danger of actually exporting much bean oil out of the U.S. But uh, those spreads to other oils, other places in the world uh, continue to compress. 
we'll get our Malaysian palm oil board uh, stocks report next week, I think on the 10th, which is, I don't remember which day that is, probably Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, stocks in Malaysia expected to rise again, a little over 20% to uh, 2.6 million metric tons or so. So the market will be watching, vigil market will be watching that one pretty close also. And I showed you Dave, this bio, yeah, go ahead. Dave, on the palm oil, uh, you know, we have always talked every year about the palm crop kind of goes to this production cycle, right? Mm -hmm. um, when should we start expecting to see the net production start to decline going into their summer? But really anytime now, we should see production start. November is kind of that shoulder month. So we should see November production down a little bit. And then typically January or December, January, February is kind of the low water mark. Um, and then as you get to March, that's kind of the shoulder month as we're coming out of the lower winter production. Um, so really, so, I mean, we could kind of get hit with a double whammy this this winter with their production declining seasonally. And then if the trees have any kind of response to this, this dry weather, right? Yeah, I think from what I've heard about the weather there, that's a good point. We have this El Nino that can often cause dryness uh, in that part of the world, Indonesia and Malaysia, where we, we grow most of our, produce most of our palm oil. It's been a bit dry in Indonesia. Uh, I don't think it's been too bad in Malaysia yet from what I'm hearing. So uh, we'll see, but yeah, that's a great point. We, we should, I don't wanna go out on a limb just yet and say this should be the high watermark for stocks, but this October stocks number is probably gonna be the highest stocks number that we see here uh at least until we get out into the better production months of next spring so that's a good call out if you're probably sensing listening to all this i'm having trouble being bearish soybean oil from these prices every time we get down here we have customers say well is this the time we're going back into the low 40s um i guess anything's possible in this crazy commodity business but uh, i would put that in the category of not very likely at all i i think that soybean oil prices probably are uh probably a buy down here um, one of the other things, I showed you this chart last week. I think we had biodiesel margins were negative by 90 cents a gallon. Now they're negative by about almost a buck and a quarter. So the market is trying to price this out, price this sector out a little bit. Well, and I would say, and, and again, this goes completely in the category of, of not firsthand information, but at AFOA, I, I heard a few comments. One was that one of the larger biodiesel producers has indicated that they might idle two of their larger methyl ester plants just you know that have to run on soybean oil mm -hmm. and i also heard that there was there is an integrated producer that's that's saying look i mean our margins are are so bad right now they may uh, they may slow one of their plants so and I, I don't have names that go against that but just even just rumors of that i think it it goes a long ways towards these guys aren't making money and they're not going to just sit in here and just keep running and i think what's happening it isn't that the entire industry is losing money i think just that methyl ester that traditional biodiesel group is is struggling margin wise because the RD guys, as you've said a million times, it's a better mousetrap, and uh, and they you know they not that they're making tons of money, but they're they're making more money than the biodiesel guys, and that and yep. those are the first guys that should kind of get shoved aside, right? Especially as this new production comes online. How much how much of that is the fact that we're rolling into the winter months too, though? I mean, we know that uh, methyl ester has cold flow issues, right? Mm -hmm with the diesel that's uh, that's made there. So is that playing into it and it's kind of a double whammy on them? Yep, they typically don't run as much uh, in the winter time anyway, because of the cold flow issues you mentioned. I think where, where we really might see the result to this, if the price picture doesn't change, is that maybe this normal ramp up that we get when the weather warms up next spring, 
uh, maybe will not be nearly as robust. So yeah, something to watch, but that's how the market's, one of the ways the market's trying to fix this, uh, what looks like a pretty big imbalance, especially when you look at all the renewable diesel capacity that's scheduled to come online here in the next handful of months. So, uh, Jay, what have you got for us in the dairy side of things? Good morning, Dave. Yeah, let's talk to dairy complex. So in class three milk, we're down 4% week over week, down 12% versus last year. Uh, block cheese continues to drift lower, right? About a buck 73. We're down again yesterday. Um, spot butter down 4.8% versus last week, uh, but up 1.9% versus last year. So again, most of the focus has been on butter. When we look at the milk and what ha what's happening on basis numbers for milk, we're still at a premium and we're above the five-year average, which is a little unusual. But again, basis numbers change week to week. So I anticipate going forward, we'll see those basis, those premiums being paid for class three will start to drift lower. Um, we had a cold storage report that came out last week on Wednesday. Um, a little bullish on the cheese side. We normally build stocks this time of year for cheese, but we actually had a little bit of a drawdown. On the butter side, we actually have more inventory, more stocks than anticipated. We're up 3% versus last year. We always have a drawdown in August, between August and September on butter stocks, um, but it was less than the five-year average. So that was, um, when we when you go to the next slide, Dave, when we talk about the butter market, as we've been talking about this for a little while, because that's honestly where all the action has <laughs> been, um, that forward curve, you can see on the, on the butter side, we are down about 5.8% uh, from the peak on the 6th. And then we rallied yesterday up almost 11 cents. So um, for, uh, for, uh, for us old guys, old school guys, we usually call that kind of a little bit in the spirit of Halloween, a little bit of a dead cat bounce there. Um, most of everybody in the trade has really written this butter market off, meaning i.e. lower prices going forward. And you can see that on the forward curve. I mean, the forward curve on butter, we're probably about a 248, 249 market going forward. Um, you can see class kind of a three. pick them out there too, about as far out as you want to buy it. It's two and a half yeah. bucks. Here you go. Yeah, it's flatter than a pancake. Um, where the forward curve for class three and for cheese, obviously they kind of marry each other. Um, is a more traditional forward curve. So again, I think from a pro we'll get a we'll get a products report on uh next week on or excuse me this week on friday so the products report will give us um an indication of what production has been like for cheese and for butter and for powders so we'll get a little bit more directional indication on friday this friday coming going forward but again i think when you look at the overall dairy complex um you know milk premiums coming down cheese we are starting to get a little bit competitive on the international market. International cheese is around $1.65 to $1.70. We're sitting right around $1.70, $1.75, which means um, this whole entire calendar year, quite honestly, on cheese, once we've gotten competitive, we pick up a little bit of business and the market firms up, and then it kind of goes away. We have not been competitive on a consistent basis here in the U.S. for cheese exports. We kind of dip our toe in, and then we jump back out. But as far as the butter complex, you know, as we're talking about butter again, we're just waiting for this market to kind of roll over and get into some reasonable numbers going forward. And I'm anticipating that's going to happen here in the near future. Kind of got to get the holidays. I don't know if you have to get the holidays behind you, but at least you have to get the production and inventory build for those holidays kind of in the rear view. Yep. I think once we get that report on Friday, they'll give us a pretty good indication on butter production and stuff. And I think that'll kind of set the tone going forward. All right. 
Well, thank you for that, Jay. Uh, and now the all-important weather at this time of the year. Paige, what have you got for us? Yeah, so this is that past seven-day precipitation map that we always start with, and it doesn't really look like a lot of the Corn Belt got quite as much precipitation as we were expecting based on last week's seven-day forecast. Uh, it seems like a lot of those precipitation events kind of scooched south a little bit and are kind of more concentrated in Oklahoma and Texas. Um, so not quite as bad on the precipitation side as we were expecting. I imagine farmers kind of took advantage of that and were maybe out in the fields a little bit more than they were um, anticipating that they would be able to be. Uh, but that's kind of good news. And then you couple that with the seven-day forecast on the next slide. Yippee. There is next to nothing there on that one. Uh, a lot of white, uh, a lot of those lighter shades of green, which is if you look over on the side, it's really, really nothing, nothing uh, large anyway. Yeah. Yep. Not a lot of rainfall in that seven day forecast. Farmers are probably going to take advantage of this again. Uh, if you remember those harvest uh, progress numbers at the beginning of the presentation, we're getting kind of in the last big push here. Um, I think beans are 85% done, corn's in the 70s. Uh, this looks like a pretty good weekly forecast to kind of get those numbers higher. And same with the longer term forecasts. Um, if you want to flip to those. Yep, there you go. Scott and I are very excited that there's no more blue on those temperature <laughs> Amen. maps. Amen. <laughs> We've been kind of little babies about it um, the last week. We, we're still pretty cold here in Omaha until tomorrow, or I guess through today. Tomorrow's supposed to start warming up here. Um, yeah, but we are excited to see uh, no more blue on those 6 to 10 and 8 to 14 day temperature maps. Um, seems like the most majority of the Corn Belt's kind of trending back to more average temperatures and a little bit above average. Uh, and on the precipitation side, that's not, yes, it's green. Yes, it's above average precipitation expected. I don't think this is going to cause any problems um, just because it doesn't look like it's well above average precipitation expected. And um, if you remember, the Corn Belt still remains dry. So a little bit of rain is probably going to kind of soak right up, especially for more seasonable, seasonal temperatures. It was kind of when we were going to be really cold and really wet. That'll that'll slow things up. But a little bit of rain and kind of seasonal temperatures or even above average temperatures doesn't, I don't see any issues with this as far as harvest delays go. Yeah, I thought we would, uh, last week when we saw the forecast last week, I thought, um, we were going to give up some of that lead that we had on harvest progress relative to the five-year average and we just didn't get the rain we were supposed to get and we kind of we've still we're still out ahead of the five years so right yeah what about so, south america yep all's looking good so far in south america um if you want to jump back to that past seven day precipitation map um that map is looking pretty good this is pretty widespread rains again not a ton unless you're southern brazil at this point um <laughs> they seem to be getting the majority of these rains but really we're kind of seeing a little bit more of a rainy pattern move in kind of rains across brazil argentina continues to get really good rains this week or this past week um which is beneficial for them to start as far as the forecasts go 
These aren't looking bad. They look great for Argentina, kind of all the, around. The 14 is what we need to have happen quick because that northern, that's where we need right. the rain and we need it to dry out in the south. And it's uh, it, the, the seven day is not what you need and the 14 day is what you need. So, Right. If you remember, southern Brazil is very, very wet. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, they've been wet for a while now. They're still battling some flooding. Um, and kind of like Dave's talking about that northern part on the seven day, that's pretty white. Uh, if you go back and look at kind of the past seven day precipitation um, over the past few weeks and the forecast, they're not getting a whole lot of love up there. Um, yeah, this past week, we've seen a lot more rains in central Brazil, which is helpful. But now we kind of need to fill out kind of the northern parts of Brazil with some of these rains, take them from southern Brazil and give them to northern Brazil, uh, which to Dave's point, that's kind of exactly what the 14 days calling for. So hopefully that one comes to fruition. But even just all these rains in general, even if even if it's in southern Brazil or central Brazil, um, it should kind of start helping the Amazon and some of those river levels. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's that's been one of the, the hurdles as I've been reading online is is low water levels. Yeah, they've had a lot of exporting issues. Well, I, I think that the reason the market's having a little bit of a trouble handicapping this, I mean, Cordonier did go down what two or three million metric tons on his Brazilian production. I mean, mm-hmm. still record bean production. It's awfully, awfully early. But but I think that when, when you look at this, I, I'm not overly worried about it because we are still early. Uh, if it starts to dry out in the south, uh, we'll get that bean crop planted. Down here in the southern part of Brazil is not where you uh, you worry about more temperate Midwest type weather like we have here. We're up in central Brazil. Your, beans are, you're typically not going to have a problem getting the bean crop grown. The problem in central Brazil is if you plant it too late, you harvest it later, and therefore you get your safrina corn crop in late, and that puts that safrina corn crop at risk of maturing and going through pollination and fill after the rainy season would stop, which is typically in April sometimes. So I I don't see a problem there. You don't typically plant a lot of safrina corn down in the south of Brazil. You can't get two crops in down there. So we're still potentially okay here if the weather kind of straightens out. Like I said, I like that 14-day forecast. That's a good bit more uh, of what the doctor ordered here, but um, still a little bit of a dicey situation down there. Well, thank you, Paige, and and thank you all for uh, uh, being here and listening. I did want to let you know that we've got another one of our free webinars coming up, Food and Fuel. Can't we all just get along? I've kind of retooled the food versus fuel deck and change the title a little bit because I think the market's kind of figuring out that, you know, at least so far, we've kind of had enough for everybody. We've had enough for a growing biofuels industry and still had enough to eat. Uh, And we'll talk about in this free webinar whether uh, we would expect that to continue. So you'll be, if you haven't already gotten it, you will uh, be getting an invitation for that so you can get signed up and love to have you as well. As always, we'd love your feedback. Thank you for listening. And as always, be careful out there.